0: It really, it feels really um, corny. I remember being very suspicious of like testimony stuff.
1: Oh, um, okay. I'm just record. <laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs> I'm Erica Henry. That was Sierra Martin, and you are listening to week two of Testify on the Holy District Podcast. Thanks for joining us.
0: Um, I think, I think for a good while, and well, most of my life really, even, even after we were at a point where I was attending KSM, I remember feeling suspicious of the like testimony things or like what God's doing for you. And I think that that was born out of this like resentment that I had of like, cool, So people my entire life can pray for me and, you know, do all this stuff and being, going, getting altar called and, you know, the the oil being anointed on my forehead and just the whole, every version of it from people prophesying over me to, you know, telling me they're praying for me and then asking me to take a deep breath and, you know, Mm -hmm. see how you feel. And so I just got to a point where I'm like, if that is real, good for them, I don't want to hear about it. Um, which is really harsh, but it's true like I, I would get frustrated and almost annoyed at that because it just felt like this isn't real um or at least it doesn't feel real to me
1: I have a I have a distinct memory when you first started coming to Kingdom Seed, and one of our uh one of the people who was worshiping there at the time, her name was Amber, she w- had been dealing with back pain, and we had. We were praying for her one Sunday during our worship time, and she experienced, like, some kind of supernatural healing where, you know, when she came in, she was having a hard time with her back, and after we prayed for her, she felt better. Mm -hmm. And I have this memory of you and I having a debriefing session after where you were, like, mad. Mad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of like... Is that even real? Did that even really happen? Mm-hmm. And if so, okay, God wants to heal her backache, but he doesn't care about my cystic fibrosis mm-hmm. and just that whole, oh yeah, can of worms, I think is one way that we've come to talk yep. about that, yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah,
0: I you know it all, as I've kind of journeyed through that, um it really was this connection to. Not really knowing who Jesus was to me outside of this entity that I had grown up knowing because I was raised in the church and was raised, you know, on, um, you know, Bible readings and scripture, you know, discussions and, um, you know, using them as pillars for how you form your character, which you know, were very valuable to me, um, and who I am now. And I, I have so much appreciation for all of the, the, um, efforts that my parents made to help me become who I am today. Mm -hmm. And I also think that that in, in the, um, enmeshment of my worldview, having CF really created this, um, I guess I would almost say like figment of an understanding of who Jesus was to me. And to put it bluntly, I kind of wanted nothing to do with it, but I felt like I had to mm. because what other choice do I have? Like this is this is what you believe because this is what you know and because you've seen people around you have these grandiose experiences and, you know, growing up in you know, a, a, and experiencing a couple of different um, church dynamics. You feel the emotional well when worship music is playing sure. or whatever, and you think, oh, that's God. Um, so he must be real. And something's just wrong with me, that I would have these doubts or that I would have this anger, that I would whatever.
1: Or that, I, that I'm that i still sick. Right. Yeah.
0: That I'm not doing enough or I'm not faithful enough or I don't believe enough or I don't. There was always this, like, not enough and therefore that is why you're not experiencing healing you're not experiencing peace you're not experiencing you know whatever it is that everybody else seems to be able to achieve or acquire or experience mm-hmm. and then testify about mm-hmm. <laughs> and i mm, mm, mm. <laughs> i just um yeah i it was it was not something i I cared to hear about. It was probably my least favorite thing to witness.
1: (laughs) And now, is that still true for you? Or where are you at with your feelings about the testimony? Oh, man.
0: So, you know, it's funny. I was just having a conversation yesterday with some friends that I've, over the past past, 6 to 8 months or so been um getting to know a little bit more and you know at first it's, it's a very casual friendship we play volleyball we do you know fun things um and you you know as as any kind of like organic relationship forms you know a little bit more about a person here and there and the more you spend one-on-one time or or more in, in more intimate settings you get to learn or ask a bit more questions um, and there was, uh, one of the guys said like something about, um, man, you're vascular because he noticed my port cord mm-hmm. on my shoulder. And I just said, Oh, that's what an interesting thing. to <laughs> say." <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, and at first I was confused and then I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, he sees it on my collarbone because it's also summer now when I met a lot of people, it was winter and you're wearing sweaters and we're bundling up as much as we can. Sure. Um, and so I just said, oh, you know, that's that's my port. And he's like, you're what? And, you know, I, I was kind of surprised because I think I forget who really knows about CF um, and the role that it's played in my life up to this point. Um, and, you know, who I've had the opportunity to have more one-on-one conversations with where it seems relevant to bring up because it's, it's not something that I... At this point in my life, have just been like, "Hello, my name's Sierra, and I have cystic fibrosis." Right. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever done that, but I certainly, it has been much more avoidable, um, or or maybe it just hasn't taken center stage. It's not really something I avoid, but it's not something that has immediately been brought to the conversation because I'm having a coughing fit, right? You know, as often or or something like that. So he's like, "No, I, you know, I had no idea," and there were a couple of other people that were around me where it dawned on me that there are four friends that I've been regularly hanging out with on um, almost a weekly basis for the last six or eight months. And they've known generally that there's something that went on where I like one time was kind of sick and then now I'm not um, or that I'm better, but they had no idea um, what was actually, what had actually gone on. So I kind of jokingly, I was like, pull up a seat. (laughs) You go and testify. (laughs) I'm realizing now that that's what this is. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've been able to really hone in on an elevator uh, version of, you know, 15 years of life basically. Mm. Um, But I just shared to them and just said, this is what, this is what it was. This is what happened. This is how that, you know, impacted some, some of the ways that I lived my life. And this is how it's been changing recently. And, The whole conversation started um, from the port conversation, but it was it had tied back to a conversation 15 minutes earlier about this um, new job that I had stepped into and why I was moving soon. And they were like, that's that's awesome. This is great. That's so cool. And then when I shared this portion, they were like, we had no idea Mm -hmm. Like, we had absolutely no idea what like that's crazy. You know, that's crazy. You have this whole new life. And I'm like, I know, it's really wild. It's really wild. I'm still, you know, and one of them, he said, you must be like a kid. Mm. And he's like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He's like, like, you get to enjoy things that, like, most people would just take advantage of. He's, I mean, I I guess. Mm. And I said, no, there really, there is something to that. And I told him, like, there are days where I'm, like, playing volleyball with everybody. And I just look around and I'm like, this is so cool. Like, The fact that I'm here, that I get to be with all of you, the fact that I get to play, the fact that, you know, all these things that I really thought I wouldn't ever do again or that I, you know, would would miss out on or I'd watched go by. And, you know, now I'm getting this like second chance at building my life. And so, you know, we kind of wrapped up the conversation and talked about, you know, connecting more like. Um, in that kind of way in the future, because there's just something that shifts when you have that like human to human connection that goes beyond like playing a game or something like that. But it it stemmed from doing those really fun, natural things with people and looking for the opportunities to just kind of bear the truth honestly mm-hmm. instead of sugarcoated or say like, oh, I just things were blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah. I love that you just use the word bear because that, that verb bear to bear witness. Mm -hmm. That is, that's the kind of the biblical concept of testifying, Mm -hmm. you know, testify is a legal phrase Mm -hmm. and it means that you have witnessed something and you have been given the opportunity now to bear witness to Mm -hmm. someone else, to share what you saw. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that that really is what we're doing when we're giving a testimony is I'm almost witnessing my own life. I'm mm. I'm taking a step and I'm looking at my own life and bearing witness to my own self mm. and regarding that um, and and sharing that yeah. with someone else. And so for our listeners who don't know your story, I think you have whetted their appetite. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right, how you how the past tense of wet. Is that the right word? <laughs> <laughs> um, would you mind if, if kind of for this first part of our interview of really like giving you an opportunity to testify, would you mind giving us somewhere between the elevator pitch and the autobiography mm-hmm. of of that journey, and and specifically knowing that this is a Jesus-centered podcast, how how has Jesus? walked with you on this journey from being sick, sick, sick with cystic fibrosis in that place you were describing earlier and your religious experience that God is a person who's supposed to heal you from CF that hasn't to where you are today. Does that feel like a doable doable thing? Yeah. Yeah. I, um,
0: I have one thought that came up that I, I, what I feel like I need to just say so I get it out of my brain say it I think as you were as you were just sharing that um, I guess explanation of you know what it actually means to bear witness or to testify the thought that came to my mind was um, logically I agree with it it makes sense And the feeling has, I think, always been, it's like um, bragging about something good in your life, and bragging has always felt arrogant and foolish to me because so quickly something that you brag about can disintegrate, Mm -hmm. and that connects to something for me of the whole like, the bottom's going to drop out from under you, so... Mm -hmm. When things are good, experience them while they're happening. But if you talk about them too much, they might go away. It's like yeah. this, like superstition yep. almost.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, in addition, to, I think to feeling that resentment of like that's not real, there was also like a and even if I was, I wouldn't be talking about it. Ah. Um, so it's interesting to think about the conversations that I'm having now, and how it naturally occurs. And so it's like I'm okay with talking about it when when there's a question that prompts it, and my answer just comes out honestly. Yep. As opposed to feeling like, <laughs> like even right now, mm-hmm. there's a little bit in me that's like, um, oh, we're going into you know brag mode, or we're we're doing that. So I that's something I'm just recognizing myself as we enter into this conversation that I've kind of got to put in check a little bit. Yep. Because it can really keep me from sharing something as it is and not trying to dilute it
1: Mm -hmm. so
0: that I don't feed into whatever that is that might be going on for me. So that was just an interesting uh, moment of awareness. Yeah. (laughs) And thanks for sharing,
1: because I think we all are going to have a different relationship to this idea Mm -hmm. of giving our testimony. Sure. And that's even part of, you know, one of the reasons why we're doing this series is to model it in a way that we don't need to give our testimony to try to manipulate someone into a decision that they're not mm-hmm. interested in making. Yeah. We don't give our testimony as a way of bragging about how blessed we are while the rest of the world suffers. We we are called upon to testify when there is a need to bear witness to what we have experienced in our life. And I think it does happen in those interactions in the in the day to day where people are observing you and seeing something happen in your life that they don't really understand or or can't explain and they're curious and so that opens this really natural conversation for you to say oh well I don't know why but I can tell you what mm. here here's what I've experienced and you know as your friend this is me saying, are uh, are you willing to, for you and I to have that conversation together as a way of me getting to hear, <laughs> and then also to model for our community in the Holy District that this is one way that a testimony sure. looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Girl, I came into this knowing what it would be. <laughs> <laughs> Still feeling nervous.
1: Yeah. All so, right. Well, <laughs> it would help just to just to jump in? Yeah. Okay, yeah. start wherever makes sense for you to start in the story.
0: Oh, man. Um, Well, I mean, I, I think... The background to some of the things that we were kind of um, touching on earlier, <laughs> there there were there was a prior podcast that I was on with Emily, so there may be some context that some of the listeners might have. But a brief um, touch point: I, around three months old, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, which at the time was a Um, terminal lung disease or chronic lung disease kind of used interchangeably depending on who you talk to and um, you know my parents were kind of given this informal warning that you know the average life expectancy was not very high and it would it would be um, it would be something if I made it to 30 but the, the likelihood of even around 18 to low 20s was more 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 in line with where things were at that time. And, um, you know, that wasn't something that my parents ever really, uh, you know, put on me. You know, it wasn't something that they said, well, you're only going to do this. It was, it was, you know, we take care of ourselves. You take care of yourself. We do everything we can and we fight it. And we believe that you're going to get healed before that would ever be- become a reality. And so, you know, growing up, it was kind of this feeling and this anticipation that, um, whatever was happening right now probably wouldn't go on too, too much longer because we were believing I was going to get healed. And I just had to work really hard to stay healthy until I got healed. And as the years passed and as I got sicker, um, that became more and more frustrating to me. And it also felt to me like it's easy for everyone else. To hope for a healing while I'm the one dealing with what this is, and I'm the one watching my peers like move on in what I perceive to be a normal life while I'm in and out of the hospital or doing therapies or missing out on simple things like sleeping over places because my therapies, you know, take up so much time, or my parents were concerned that I wouldn't do them well enough. And, you know, it, it was a really difficult choice for them to say. You know, she lives longer by doing therapies or she has fun at a sleepover. And, you know, it's not that that didn't ever happen, but the frequency, like there was a burden to it. There was a burden to most things um, as a child that I felt and compared myself to my peers in for, for a really long time. And by the time I was, um, you know, in my late teens, I had grown very angry. Um I was angry, I was resentful, I was hurting, I was scared and I didn't want to talk to anyone about it because I felt like I had to be strong for my family um, and the people around me because if I gave up or if they thought I was giving up, then that would be hurtful to them, that would mean I was giving up on Jesus, that would mean, you know, all these things. But in reality, I had kind of let go of that a long time ago because it just didn't seem like that was going to happen. Um, and so, you know, to fill in the gaps of from that whole time period, as I mentioned earlier, my childhood was filled with church experiences where, you know, almost every Sunday, my mom would be in tears. And anytime there was an altar call, she would bring me up front and and the whole congregation would lay hands on me and anoint my head with oil and, you know, there were conversation about being slain in the spirit and just a lot of things that I could see the weight of my parents. I could see when I would get sick, we would, you know, I'd have a doctor's appointment on a Wednesday and we'd go to church on Sunday, preparing to go be admitted the next week. And both of my parents would be in tears and go up front. And there were just things that I remember You know, those are the distinct memories I have of even seeing my dad cry because it's like that it just weighed so heavily on them. And they believed so much that Jesus would heal me. But I just kept getting sick and the reports were not great. And it, it there was this attachment of like, I'm not doing enough. And everyone else around me is suffering and I'm suffering and I'm angry. And like, what is the point of all of this? Um, and so, you know, fast forward several years and a couple of marriages and, um, life decisions that were, that surrounded my, the state of my health and what I felt like I had the ability to do or the time to do, I found myself looking at my life thinking, what is the point of any of this at at this point? Um... And, you know, there there were there was a really, really dark period of time. And I remember sharing this with you where I was embarrassed about it. But I I had so um, such deeply rooted suicidal ideation that I just couldn't escape. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night having dreams where I like watched it happen to me. Um, and then I felt guilty about it because they in, at least in the faith tradition that I grew up in, it was, it was not looked upon. Well, um, the idea of people killing themselves or, or dying by suicide, um, because there was some degree of a, a lack of, um, responsibility or that you're, you're committing a murder and so you're sinning and that's your last action and you can't, you can't be forgiven for mm. that. And it just all weighed so heavily because it was like, how is one to do this to to believe that they should be healed, to believe that there are a certain number of things that they need to do to be healed, to not know how to do those things and to continue feeling like you're watching your body disintegrate and the love like everyone around you is watching it and no one can stop it. No one can help you. No one can no one can do anything. Um, and that period of time was, I, I look back on it now and I just think, man, I really, I don't know how I did it. I mean, I I have some, some thoughts about just the support systems that I have. And really, I think that's, that is the, the thing. Um, the fact that I did have people that I loved and that I knew loved me was reassuring. And I know our relationship, by the time I actually did share that with you, it was meaningful the way that you showed up for me. But there was also a point where um, it almost was like more Mm fear-ridden that kept me from just acting on something. Um, And I I think that... Space and time really, the thing that mobilized me out of that was when Trikafta came on the scene. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't a sheer willpower that stopped it. There wasn't, there wasn't anything like that that I can really say. You know, it was, it was actually a drastic quality of life change that, um, you know, shifted the, the experience that I was having that led me to feel the way that I
1: did. Um, and and tricapta is the drug yes. that had been in trial phase, study for phase for years, years mm-hmm. and then just a few years ago, actually, you know, got pushed through the FDA, FDA yep. and and finally came to market, and and you were able to start taking it around Christmas time of twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: So, um, that year, twenty nineteen, was the year that I was probably the most sick um, that I had ever been. I had been 20, 2018 and 2019, actually, but I had been in and out of the hospital. I had had my port placed. They were ready to put a feeding tube in, and I just, it felt like all of these layers of um, severity that were becoming concrete that yep. were never going to go back, and I had to just accept it. Um And so when Charkacta came on in in 2019, in December of 2019, my health within a matter of weeks um, significantly improved. And that then followed with, you know, a big mental shift and starting to understand my life in in very different ways. Um, So much of it was really, really beautiful and just like, radically life changing and there was also a a bit of a shadow to that that I started to experience and and felt some guilt about because you live your whole life thinking you're going to die and now you're not and you're not prepared to live mm-hmm. it all hit you it all hit me all at once and navigating through that was really formative to the point that I'm at now, because that's when I started making decisions about, I don't know what is next, but this is what I can do now. I don't know what's next after that, but this is what I can do now. Um, And so to bring it to where we are now and what I think is the thing that I find myself sharing when I meet new people at this phase of my life that could I suppose be a testimony <laughs> um, is you know I I realized how much of my life I now had some agency over that I had felt stripped of whether truly stripped or just um, uh, I perceived to to be stripped of but. I started to feel as though I did have some degree of agency, again, or perhaps even for the first time in some areas, and having a network of people, such as you and Blake and you know some others that came into my circles, um, who were willing and able to ride that out with me and say, we don't know either, but we're we're believing that there's something there's something here. And that allowed me to make decisions in the unknown space, the unknown space that didn't feel familiar to me. The unknown of when or how I would d- actually die was familiar to me. Yeah. The unknown about when or how or what it would look like to live or now have a life. I, I couldn't even imagine myself five years down the road or god forbid 10 years down the road or you know anything like that yeah and now as i sit here today my my career is forming my sense of self has been deepening um i don't feel so timid about building relationships because it doesn't feel um cruel to do so and there's just there's so much there that I now think about where I can reflect on how much I am who I am today, because of the um, because of the people that God surrounded me with when there was this massive thing in my life that was out of my control um, and how different my life would be today if I had not had those people mm-hmm. that community um, and the community like I said shifted and formed over the years but truly I there's so much um, that I feel connected to about what we do here at the Holy District because my lived experience is so intricately tied to the impact of having community and support systems that literally carry you. Um, And so I guess a very short answer in a testimony format would be like, that is something that Jesus has been doing my entire life. And I didn't fully realize that until now, because Mm -hmm. I was so focused on what I wasn't getting that I couldn't see all all that was actually happening around me at the time, um and that still will hap- that still happens to me today, yeah, me too um but yeah, even as we sit here now, i'm like, yeah that is that is that is the thing when I feel hung up on various things I don't quite understand in scripture, or when I feel hung up on um certain aspects of the Christianity I was raised in that I I have a difficult time with now or that I, things that I've been unlearning or relearning. There's this um, what'd you say? Under Undertow maybe? Mm-hmm. Perhaps. Sure. Um, through line. That's the word I was looking for.
1: That's a better word. It is a better
0: word. The through line <laughs> 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 has been The way God has been present with me through his people in my life and why I, why I find it so compelling that Jesus lives in and among our communities, um, and why I've begun to shape my life in the way that I have. Yeah.
1: How would you describe the way that you are shaping your life? Hmm. Right now,
0: I think i I had never really considered how I shaped my life before, truly. I think I was just trying to as extreme as it sounds, survive a mm-hmm. bit um and when I actually started to feel like I have a life to build and I should be figuring out how I want to do that, it really started to matter to me what it is that I'm placing so much importance in and around. Um, and so, you know, some, some very practical examples, I guess, would be um, I work really hard now to form my relationship to my money or my finances in a way that doesn't just center me or my comfortability. Um, It doesn't mean that I, you know, choose to live in a cardboard box. (laughs) 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 Though you could, I suppose. Um, But it really is when I notice myself feeling like I need to hold on to something, um, I really work to think about it in in the sense that, like, you... You know what it feels like to have little, and this means nothing. Like in in the grand scheme of things, this means nothing. And your relationship to the people around you is where your money should be, um, as much as as much as it can be. And so, you know, I as I kind of mentioned earlier, I'm I feel very fortunate to be shifting into a, um, new season of my life where I'm, I'm moving soon. I'm making choices about where I'm going to live, how I'm going to live, how much stuff I'm going to have, um, what kind of budget I build for myself. You know, there are all these really practical things that I think we kind of, um, at least my experience in the evangelical Christian space has been, just make sure you prioritize a 10% tithe Mm. and whatever else you do doesn't matter because, well, as long as you're not, you know, funneling it to harm people. Mm. But even that, it's questionable sometimes. So, (laughs) um, but it's a a totally different way of living because it's a holistic approach to say how I'm living my day-to-day life, I want it to... be a representation of what it is that I actually believe Jesus calls us to live like. And that doesn't mean it stops at a ten percent tithe or whatever percent or whatever dollar figure makes sense for you and your family or your budget or your circumstance. But it's it's how I live. So, you know, for several months I didn't have much to offer in in the way of anything financial or monetary, but I had my time. And so trying to think about how I spend my time or where I spend my time or who I'm spending my time with and in ways that it didn't just represent what made me feel cool or comfortable or whatever, um, whatever that would just be self-serving. And I think I, I have a a moment, even as I was saying that, that feels like I could be saying you, you always need to be doing for other people, otherwise you're not doing anything for the Lord. Mm. And that's not what I'm saying. But it's, it's thinking about my life in a holistic way that integrates what matters to me and also what is healthy for me and what I genuinely believe God is asking me to be present to in the things that I'm already doing in my life. And so, again, a small example of that would be when I'm in spaces doing fun things with these new people I've met, to not shy away from honest answers because it's it's living integrated. It's who I am, and it may be more convenient or comfortable to give a really shallow, lighthearted answer to move the conversation along, and perhaps it makes somebody uncomfortable if I answer honestly, and if I do, okay. And then I'll take my P's and Q's. I'm not going to push it onto them. Right. But the opportunity for a meaningful connection and conversation couldn't happen if I'm not bearing the truth or bearing witness to what it is that I believe is important for me to demonstrate in my life from simple conversations to how and where I live and what I do and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Okay, one more question for you. Yep. You described a little bit of your perception of God mm-hmm. from kind of your just familial upbringing. So, who who was Jesus to you then? And who is Jesus to you now? Maybe to wrap up this episode.
0: Such a simple question.
1: I I ask very simple questions. <laughs>
0: Um well I you know at the risk of being too reductionistic about it reductionistic is that a word reductionist doesn't matter is now if it, it wasn't <laughs> urban dictionary that <laughs> um, you know I I really did I I saw Jesus and actually, I would probably say more specifically, I saw God, because i i view, i viewed them as different. Mm. I saw God,
1: like God the Father mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and
0: Jesus, the martyr, mm.
1: <laughs>
0: Jesus the, um, you know the, um, gracious, son who was willing to to sacrifice something um yeah i I saw God as kind of this this really mysterious entity that had control of the universe and made decisions to me kind of haphazardly. Mm-hmm. It didn't make any sense to me, but there was this infusion or almost um, like indoctrination of respect that I had for no reason known to me outside of just I was told this and I was raised this way and I think I attached my respect to my own father to my dad to this idea of God because my dad respected God and my dad followed God and so I have these feelings, but my dad follows them, so it's got to be good. Mm. And I just don't understand it. And Jesus was um, the person or extension of God that I thought of to be sad about at communion. Mm. And... God and Jesus together couldn't find a reason to heal me. So it was always thinking about what I needed to be doing to make that happen. Um, Now, I would say I, in all honesty, I'm still discovering who Jesus really is to me and i think the thing that i feel most certain about if i could say i'm certain about anything or that i feel most concretely is that i see jesus in people i see jesus in the goodness of what i see around me in the um the beauty of what happens when people um genuinely show up and love one another in a way that is transform transformative mm. um, and all of, all of those things even as I say them feel a bit more vague than what I would like because it just sounds it sounds like so many things we hear all the time like you love them and it's tran- transformational kind of love and I'm like what does that even mean um, but I, I think if I could, maybe try to do my best to expand on that a little bit. The shift that started to happen for me when I thought about Jesus was when I realized that Jesus wasn't indifferent to what I had been experiencing in my life, but that I actually thought Jesus had been with me in those moments and I'll, I'll share one distinct memory that I remember I think I shared with you. Well, there are two that I'll be fairly brief. <laughs> um, I remember when you and I had been exploring imaginative prayer um, or another word for it. Um, what is another word for it?
1: Um, like when we were doing Ignatian prayer or like inner sanctum prayer. Yes. Yeah. Or cataphatic prayer. That's another. That's definitely the word. Is that I was the word you were thinking of? Thinking for, of? Sure. Yeah. for sure. Cataphatic.
0: Yeah. Cataphatic. Yep. Yeah. Um, but essentially like engaging my mind to pray and think about Jesus in a way that had, didn't feel legitimate in any experience that I had ever had of, of what prayer was. Um, And so I remember thinking about um, just memories of my life and asking Jesus where he was Mm -hmm. in in them. And I remember having a, a memory of laying in a hospital bed. And it was, you know, a time that I was very, I was upset. I was crying. I was angry. I was hurt. And I... I had whenever I was like looking onto this scene, almost like an aerial view at the in the ceiling of the hospital room. Jesus was laying in the bed next to me, like like a how a, a parent would um on a child's bed. like he was laying on his side with his arm up around the pillow area, and I was there, and he was just laying there. And there wasn't anything that he could do, but he was there. And I just remember feeling like, that is very different than what I thought of Jesus then because I always felt abandoned. I felt like no one would stop, no one could stop anything and no one was going to and I just had to deal with it and so that, that shifted something in me and there were there were a handful of experiences that I had in imaginative prayer that were like that, where I would be walking with Jesus. And I started to experience him almost as a, as a, a human who really loved me, who actually cared about me, who saw me. And I wasn't just another person down here that he didn't have time for or that wasn't doing enough to warrant his attention. And the last memory that I'll share that I think really started to transition me into a journey of asking Jesus who you who are you to me really because I I'm realizing you're not what I thought you were but I don't quite know who you actually are. Um I I was sitting outside and listening to a song and asking Jesus again, just, I what, what does it look like to spend time with you? Like, show me, I don't know who you are anymore um, because I thought you were this. And now I'm realizing I don't think you are, but I don't know who you are. And I had this um, imagination thought. I don't want to say vision because it didn't cast before me like a holograph, but it was this, you know, thought, like a daydream of me and Jesus dancing, but like, just like spinning in a circle. Um, and I was really little, um, and as we would spin with each cycle, I would get a little bit older and a little bit older. And then I noticed his face would shift between my dad's face and this blurry, thing that my brain knew was Jesus but (laughs) I could not sketch or tell you what he actually looked like yeah um and it, it dawned on me in that moment like I thought of when I had my you know my father daughter dance with my dad at my wedding and how it felt and how you know I almost I didn't want it to end because it felt so sweet to have that moment with my dad um and that there are just very few times that I, I got um, to be as close to my dad in that moment as I, as I was, and to feel like I just wanted him to know how much he was loved by me, mm-hmm. like how much I respected him, how much he had shaped me. Um, and in that moment when I was dancing with Jesus, or spinning with Jesus, and it was interchanging with my dad's face and my like the way his arms are around my back and the way he held my hand even like how my dad's hands are shaped and how his nails are like there Mm. was just so many things that were there where it was like you this relationship that you have to your dad this presence this care this protection that your dad has over you I am that and I am more than that and you don't know and I just want to I want you to feel that from me. That is who I am. Everything else will figure out. Yeah. And I was like, well, that changes some things. <laughs> mm. Um, and that was five years ago now.
1: Yes. Yep.
0: So it has been a long time of being on this journey and it is going to continue. Um, yeah,
1: I remember that. I remember that song. I remember that prayer. Mm-hmm. I remember processing that with you. Yeah, vividly. Every time I hear that song, I think of you mm-hmm. and your dad. Yeah, and Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up our time today, it strikes me, maybe maybe this is a closing thought. It seems like the Jesus that. You were presented was, you know, Jesus the sacrificial lamb. Jesus, um, the person who's supposed to heal you. Jesus, you know, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves or Yahweh delivers. But there's another name of Jesus that is given in the Gospels that comes from the prophets, and it's Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mm. And this journey that you've been on, Jesus has become so much more and unbecome some of the things that you thought he meant and and it sounds like you are expecting there to be even more development and evolution in your relationship to Jesus mm-hmm. um, as as the journey continues yeah and I think that's beautiful yeah. Sierra you just gave your testimony <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Holy District Podcast. I'm so happy that you are part of our community in this way, listening to our podcast and hopefully engaging in conversations with the people around you. As always, I'd love to invite you to take another step with us, whether that be joining us at one of our neighborhood gatherings in Arizona or Pennsylvania, or reaching out for a spiritual direction session, maybe following us on social media at Rediscover Sacred, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can check out our website, holydistrict.org, to see perhaps how what Jesus is up to in the Holy District community might intersect with your life and your life's purpose. And of course, we look forward to being with you again next week. We'll talk to you then. The Holy District is a growing network of people in the United States who are finding creative ways to live integrated, Jesus-centered lives in our communities, with our communities, and for our communities. We're committed to rediscovering the sacred in the everyday spaces where we already live, work, and play. And we're so happy that you're on this journey with us. (laughs)
0: Oh, you might have to vaseline my head to get me out the door. I feel very... (laughs) Please cut that out.